I don't, I don't think that the CDP space has fully crossed the chasm. So I think what that, what that ends up meaning is that the killer application, which is personalization, um, which is typically in service of some business goal, ultimately kind of becomes the, the defining characteristic rather than like the kind of core enablement infrastructure. You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. I'm thrilled today to have our guest, Michael Katz, um, you know, on our podcast today. Michael is a second time guest on the show, uh, you know, and as you know, many of our listeners are quite familiar with, he's founder and CEO of MParticle. Uh, Michael, you want to you say hi? Hey, uh, thank you for having me back. Am I the first two-time guest? I believe you actually are. Um, you know, we are scheduling a couple of others, but I believe you are you know, definitely our first now that I, I think back on it. Great. So, so Michael and I actually, you know, for our, our listeners, Michael and I, you know, spent you know a decent amount of time this summer, you know, you know just getting together and talking about you know, the category and, and and where the you know the market of data and martech and everything in between is heading. Uh, and we thought it might be helpful to come back to the table, um, you know, and have a conversation around you know, you know the future of, of CDPs of the category, uh, you know, you know what's fact, what's fiction, what's myths, uh, you know, and, and cover sort of you know, you know everything across you know actual trends and. Uh, you know, marketing buzzwords and, uh, you know, and flashy headlines, you know, including the, the, the composable CDP and beyond. You know, so with this, you know, Mike, why don't we just get into it, um, you know, and let's kick off with sort of a basic question around, you know, what are some of the, the core uh, technology and market changes that are affecting uh, the CDP, CDP landscape today? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's a number of direct uh, changes within the, within the space. I, I see probably more indirect changes. I think we were talking about this a few weeks back, but it, it feels like there's more indirect competition than, than ever before or more vectors of, of competition. So I guess like before I get into changes in maybe like the competitive landscape, um, I just want to make a, a quick point. Um, I think increased competition is a, is a good sign of a really healthy market. Like, if competition was going away, if people were focusing their efforts somewhere else, that would probably be more concerning to me. And I think a lot of it has to do with a number of the more kind of macro tailwinds. So not necessarily just the economy, although I do think that there's something to be said around teams needing to do more with less and do better with their data. Um, and then I think there's, there's also something to be said around um, basically every company needing to build a, a first-party data strategy. If you, if you value the digital experience, and how can you not, if you value the customer experience, you have to deal with all of the complexity that's been thrust upon all of us from the changes from Apple and Google around identity, from cookies to IDFA, really everything in between increased uh, regulatory considerations and, and, and restrictions and just the need to ultimately um, value consumer privacy as, as a fundamental human right. 
um, all of those things have created a bit of a um, bit of a ripple effect, if not, not more than that. Probably hear my dog barking at me in the background. <laughs> that's for, for added effect. I mean, does he agree or disagree? That's the, yeah, that's no, the, she's yeah. she's she's my height wo- woman, so uh, she very much agrees. I think, um, and you know, I, I think like right now is is the time. Like the industry is has been going through so much transformation, and and so everybody's trying to figure this out. And so now what you have is the the modern data stack which is typically oriented around solving like data engineering challenges starting to to converge with like the customer data stack um, you have uh, companies in the application layer who focus on customer engagement um, and I, I would maybe even respectfully put you guys in there also converging with more of like the customer data infrastructure um, that kind of is the CDP space. The, the CDP space is weird because it's almost like at the intersection of like traditional IT systems and like marketing tech, and there's no other kind of great examples like that. And so all of this change and all of the um, increased focus on creating first party, strong first party data foundations has everybody saying, well, then I'm a CDP too. And I think that's what we're all feeling. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, yeah, I think part of the challenge in the category is, is just the width. Um, yes. You know, Michael, on our last episode, you know, we sort of covered you know, the notion of garbage and garbage out. Yeah, I think you know, one of the one of the greatest things about particle is really just making sure the data collection happens in the you know, highest you know, availability possible. Uh, and to your point, yes, I mean, you know, our core focus, you know, from Simon's perspective, is on the application side. You know, and then of course, you know, in between all this is an emerging layer of data infrastructure. And so sort of getting back to the question, you know, what are some of the driving forces that are shaping the category? You know, from our perspective, you know, certainly, you know, the modern cloud data warehouse has been front and center. You know, and it seems as if uh, you know, there, you know, there's sort of two clear leaders that we're seeing in the market across you know, BigQuery and Snowflake. And you know, Amazon you know, has uh, a solution that uh, was early to market, you know, with Redshift, but it's sort of certainly struggling from a, a technology perspective. And you know, Microsoft is pushing uh, Synapse hard, but of course, Snowflake can deploy on top of any of these platforms. So, um, you know, we're, you know, to your point, you know, around you know, how does CDP fit in the context with with this? Well, the every modern enterprise today is also asking, you know, how does CDP fit into my data strategy? The times uh, are behind us where you know, your MarTech strategy is a closed loop system. You know, that just you know, puts a pixel on the site, you know, in a vertically integrated fashion, you know, to solve all of your marketing problems. Uh, you know, it's really emerged as a, a much more integrated set of, of, of sort of opportunities. And your CDP strategy needs to actually think rather in a more you know, integrated way relative to your data strategy, relative to, to not just your marketing strategy, but you know, your customer experience strategy more broadly. So you know, it's definitely a shift across uh, you know, thinking much more, much less vertically focused across a, a narrower set of use cases, a narrower set of functions, to being much you know, broader and horizontal with you know, data at, at the core. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And, and again, I think this is a sign of a healthy market, one that's growing and, and evolving. Right, like I think Jeffrey Moore nailed it with crossing the chasm. I don't. I don't think that the CDP space has fully crossed the chasm. So I think what that what that ends up meaning is that the killer application, which is personalization, um, which is typically in service of some business goal, ultimately kind of becomes the the defining characteristic rather than like the kind of core enablement infrastructure, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, you know, I think, you know, we're still at a place where folks are really trying to figure out, uh, you know, where's the center of gravity for all this stuff. And, you know, and even with that, you know, what are the core use cases they should be focusing on? Uh, yeah. And you definitely have a bit of the, the cart driving the horse, you know, and the capabilities, you know, dictating what you should be doing, you know, which, you know, will, will ultimately all iron itself out as the market matures. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think in an early market, I don't think that that's wrong to tout like uh, features and functionality and get people rallied around your, your vision for the, for the world. Cause that's ultimately what you're dealing with. You're dealing with more visionary technology buyers who can, who can connect the dots and they can see the future. But as the market evolves and matures, you're dealing with more pragmatic technology buyers. Right. And it's, it's about solving their problems, not like, Hey, look at this new way of doing the same thing that you've been doing, but it's now 10 X better. Like they don't, they don't necessarily always connect the dots. Yep. No, a hundred percent. And I think, uh, you know, sort of getting back to, you know, sort of emerging capabilities and, and, and look, you know, what I find so interesting about the cloud data warehouse, you know, and sort of modern data infrastructure is that for a, a certain set of use cases, it's incredibly well understood. Set up your cloud data warehouse, put a BI tool on top of it, uh, you know, and, the, and then, you know, run queries every month uh, mm-hmm. or queries every morning for that matter to understand, uh, you, know, you know, how the business is moving. You know, yet when you sort of look at, Sort of this broader set of applications in front of us, you know, I do think there are some key considerations that you know need to be addressed. Um, you know, and, and look, you know, you know, from my perspective, while you know the, the data warehouse, you know, like the origins are you know firmly rooted in reporting and analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the real potential, and you know, I think both you you and I both sort of see things moving is is obviously using data beyond just analytical use cases and, and, and for it to be the operational backbone of the modern enterprise. You know, and and certainly, you know, the movement of these services to the cloud, you know, has you know, increased adoption tremendously. Uh, you know, I remember when we, you know, actually first out of the business, uh, you know, seeing you know Redshift available by the hour, you know, in AWS, and I was like, oh well, this is going to be game changing. You know, and and it was. And today, when you sort of look at, at the capabilities, the potential, you know, across a, a fully elastic and you know an expandable you know cloud infrastructure that you know, has all your first party data, uh, it's, it's it's tremendously exciting. You know, and really, you know, I think can satisfy a tremendous number of use cases. Uh, you know, the one thing that I think is still a bit of an open question is while the, you know, the, the, while the cloud data warehouse can't scale to low latency use cases, uh, you know, there are, are sort of true real-time use cases where, you know, things become a little bit trickier on exactly, uh, you know, how that fits, fits into the ecosystem. Fully. I mean, I think, you know, first I would, I would question the assumption, can a generalized pipeline, which is constructed for reporting use cases, can that be repurposed to solve, to solve for personalization use cases when there are a number of nuances that ultimately need to be solved for, which aren't contemplated by generalized pipelines like ETL as a service? So that's like, that is the first question, because I think the premise that all the data already exists in the data warehouse and all you need to do is reverse ETL it out. Like that's such a gross oversimplification of what the actual challenges are. Everything from the real-time use cases, which, which you just mentioned to more sophisticated customer journey 
management. So you can't, you can't take into account um, more complicated uh, sequences in, in, in those instances, because oftentimes you don't have that real time bi-directional connectivity back and forth to just the overall complexity that is required by trying to unbundle anything and everything within what is a more opinionated approach, right? So the idea is like, just cause you can do something that like, does it mean you, you should, right? Um, the order of, oper- like, I think we talked about this last time, but like the order of operations matters, um, identity, identity resolution and getting that right in the first mile, that, that matters rather than trying to do that after the fact. And there's just like a lot of bad self-serving advice out there. And, and when you take into account the total economic impact relative to the total cost of, of ownership, the argument that faster time to value realization um, actually, like it, that may be true, but then you hit a bit of a brick wall. And, and what you see is like value recede um, because the complexity drives um, compounding like human capital costs. It also drives compounding um, compute costs. And that's nobody's intention. But if, if you don't take into account the whole picture and solve these problems holistically, you get people saying, oh, this stuff is, is the greatest. You get other people saying, no, it's not. And we end up like having this ongoing debate that we've had on and across LinkedIn for the past, what, like six, six months. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think sort of speaking of, of noise in the system and, you know, maybe we can sort of get to, you know, my, my, my next question is, uh, you know, why don't we try to dig into some of the trends that, you know, that, that you're seeing and that we're both seeing in, in the market and, you know, what practical guidance you know, can you give customers to separate the market ops, uh, you know, and opportunities around your know, you know disruptive te- te- you know, technology that you know can really drive your you know, you know, value across some of the use cases we've been talking about here, you know, versus your know, your market ops uh, as compared to just pure marketing. Yeah, it's 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 a great question. Um, I would go back to one of the points I just made, which is like. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily should, right? So while you can unbundle technology, um, and there's no argument that that is a uh, a natural law of of technology, it doesn't necessarily mean that unbundling results in net value being accrued to like the customer and to and 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 to the business, right? I see like. Um, market ops and, and marketing is like those challenges are very much intertwined. So like in order to deliver great personalization and marketing experiences, you simply cannot um, ignore um, or discount like how operationally complicated it is to, to execute, right? The digital ecosystem is in a steady state of, of change. Um, and that creates a whole bunch of change that organizations have to deal with. So you can't just say like, Hey, here's my personalization strategy. You have to say, how am I, how well prepared am I to absorb the shock that happens throughout the organizations that are trying to execute 
these strategies and what are my vulnerability or what is my vulnerability? What, what are my vulnerabilities to those changes? And they're not necessarily opposing forces. I think it's, it's, it's a bit yin yang. Like they, they are two parts of the whole. You can't really do one without the other. You have to solve both at the, at the same time because the best strategy with, with weak execution is not going to deliver the optimal results. And great execution of a poorly constructed strategy, also you're leaving a bunch of money on the table. Now, I'm not like here to say one of those is better than the other, but you, you really do need both sides of the equation. But I, I, I would love to see like how, how are you guys thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, one thing, like coming at it from the other side you know, of the coin and you know, how do you build an application that uh, you can actually leverage your existing data strategy to affect you know, you know, great personalization um, you know, and right. experiences. Yeah, I think one of the one of the fundamental challenges is you know, you know, the value proposition of the category does sit at the intersection of you know, you know, marketing and customer facing teams on the one side and the data teams on the other. You know, and I think you know, for folks who have been in the space for a period of time and understand the problem well, uh, you know, you know, I, I think there's you know, you know, there, there's differences of approaches. Uh, you know, for newer entrants in the category who have you know, come together and formed alliances around a problem they don't understand, they've just added pure noise to the system. Um, yeah. and Michael, I know, you know you and I you know, you know, spoke earlier this summer around like, hey, like, well, let's respond to this whole composable CDP business that Hot Touch put out. And you know, I just went, went, went through it from an application perspective. And I'm like, there's so many holes in this. I don't see how this is even slightly usable you know, across identity in real time. And you know, you know, majority of the, of, of the use cases that we know are high value and are required to be you know, put in place to be successful you know, aren't even addressed, you know, or considered, you know, much less, you know, part of, you know, this, you know, new unbundling, which is ostensibly solves uh, an understood problem, or at least, at least an understood set of use cases in a better way. I, I mean, I, I think the whole thing is, is like, it's a load of crap, actually, like, I think it's like a marketing spin on, on reality, right? Like, why would anybody choose to use a reverse ETL solution over, over you guys, right? When like the key defining characteristic of reverse ETL is you can consume data from the data warehouse directly. Now, I, I think like that's going to be a feature that probably every CDP is, is going to have, right? I think our, our difference of opinion is that the data warehouse is a valuable source of customer data, it's not the only valuable source of, of customer data. But if every CDP, like let's play this out, if every CDP has this feature, and there's a number of, of, of CDPs like you guys that already do, that also have a ton of other features that have been built out for the past several years, why would you choose a reverse ETL vendor who can't do half the stuff that you guys can do? half, like they can't do 80% of, of, of what you guys do, right? So it's like you're getting 10% maybe of the functionality. And then when the market continues to acknowledge the fact that the data warehouse is not going anywhere, like it is going to be here to stay. And, and I do believe that those two markets, which are adjacent, will, will start to converge and potentially overlap. What do those guys have that anybody else doesn't? The answer is like literally nothing other than the same shitty blog posts that they keep publishing. 
over and over again. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I always joke, um, you know, the MVP of Simon Data was effectively re- reverse ETL yeah. today. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and the, the, two, the only two differences were, one is we were six years earlier to market. Uh, yeah. And two is our marketing shelf weren't nearly as good as the current in- incumbent category. <laughs> well, I, I, I would probably argue differently because your <laughs> business is significantly bigger than, than theirs. They're just, they're just noisy. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's all it is, right? And let's not confuse noise with actual <laughs> success. Yeah, so which gets back to the you know, original question around marketing ops versus pure marketing. So, uh, look, I think there's a lot of smart people you know, within space working on, uh, you know, working on these problems, but you know, there's sort of a lot of maturation that needs to happen. Amen. Yeah, no, no argument here. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the big question that has still gone unanswered from like a, b- a bunch of those guys is what proof is there that their argument is is just and has actually created net economic value for their customers that couldn't be achieved through a different um, strategy, a different approach, a different architecture. Um, there's no, it's not like it's not like they're talking about a bake off that's been run. They're just saying, "Hey, look at me! Friends don't let friends uh, buy CDPs." Like. But you're building like a little small shitty CDP and like, you know, you don't want to call yourself the CDP, but that's that's really what you are. Like the whole thing to me, it's like I, I have a I have a tough time reconciling a lot of this stuff because it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Yep. So let's let's maybe you know, sort of a good segue for, um, you know, maybe sort of you know, the last question I have in my notes, which is, yeah, let's actually break down the CDP value chain you know, end to end for a few minutes. Starting with data quality, um, you know, and winning for winning the first mile, and then getting to uh, you know some of the final bits around you know what it really you know is required to effectively enable data through a modern application strategy. I think it starts with good, clean, um, permissible access to data, um, and I think like for for us, you can see like in some of our recent investments um, in our audience sequences or like our, our journey builder tool, um, the acquisition of indicative to improve um, insights along that customer journey, as well as um, Fedora who will help augment that, that customer journey through, um, through some of the features that they've built out around like machine learning and, and, and whatnot. Um, it starts with like accessibility, just like making sure you you have a layer of like truth to your to your kind of core data asset, and that's like again you have to protect data integrity and reliability. You have to make sure that like the the thing that you think you have is the thing that you have actually. And then for for me, it's probably as you move into the the, the pipeline. Um, Getting, getting a better understanding and getting more customer context and being able to continuously improve and enrich the customer profile through, you know, probably the stuff that I mentioned before, which actually I would pull out of, out of that and put more kind of in, into the middle. And as you're moving data through this pipeline, 
increasing transparency and there's like a, a really kind of core operational aspect of, of this stuff. Like, Hey, I thought I was collecting a hundred events. How come only 99 are showing up? Like where, where's it getting stuck or where's data getting dropped or lost? Is it, is it coming in with the right structure and format? Is it, is it coming in um, and reconciling? properly and then also just understanding the the why behind the what so it starts with truth and then you assign meaning to to the data um, improving context and then it's just about like activation and like and 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 automation and i think our job is as as we've talked about to make sure that we never cross that line into customer engagement like we're never going to we're never going to activate the data directly. We're never going to serve ads. We're never going to push emails or deliver push notifications or like any of any of that stuff. We're not the the UI layer or engagement layer in, in any way, shape, or form. Our job is just to make it better, right? Like the old BASF commercials, like we don't make the tires, we make them better, right? Like we don't make the paint, we make it bluer. Like our job is not to provide the application, it's to amplify the, the usefulness of that through improving the customer data. And I think that when you have companies out there that are arguing uh, on behalf of like this faster time to value, like there's always a cost, right? There's always a cost, whether you pay the cost upfront that's usually the best way to do it. But like, we're all building businesses. We all have a thousand fires to put out. Sometimes we may not necessarily have that luxury, but we also have to understand by not doing it right up front, this is just another form of tech debt. Data debt and tech debt are one and the same, right? Yep. Uh-huh. And it's going to be worse. Like it's, it is way worse when you have to burn it down six months, a year, two years from now, and that's the thing that um, I really take exception with, with like a lot of these uh, reverse ETL vendors is like they are leading companies down a, a really wrong path that pretends that there is a shortcut to, to winning. Like we've been building companies now for many, many years. Like if you know shortcuts to winning, t- tell me, cause I have yet to, to see any. Uh, yep. No, I, uh, uh, you know, we considered trading notes over, over the summer on, on how to do that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> couldn't agree more with you on that, Michael. The other side of this, you know, look is, you know, just as you guys have a you know, relentless focus on the quality of data, you know, our perspective focusing on on the application is 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 look, uh, you know, everyone in the market talks about one to one personalization. Um, you know, yet at the end of the day, if the application that personalizes can't represent data in a granular way, then what's the point? Um, you know, and when we see you know, you know, really the role of you know our you know, our sort of you know, side of the CDP opportunity, you know, it really comes in, in rethinking the application tier. You know, let's you know let's not talk about one-to-one personalization anymore and, and assume that that's as a given around where you want to go to, but let's instead talk about one-to-one data. You know, how can you make sure that the right data uh, yeah, that's specific, that represents a broad set of use cases, 
um, across the customer life cycle, across customer behaviors, uh, across the unknown unknowns that you know, may be required to be uh, you know, effective and, and gain market share in Q1, Q2, and Q3 of next year. Let's say you want to identify, you know, you know, how do you make sure that, you know, that, you know, that wealth of data uh, and the future capabilities you know, can be properly represented in your application tier? Uh, you know, just last week, you know, Salesforce announced, uh, you know, you know, Snowflake integration into, you know, their CDP, you know, but at the end of the day, look, you know, if you're going to be using Salesforce's CDP, well, you're locked into you'd be using Salesforce's application. Salesforce application is built on data infrastructure that is now officially 20 years old. Um, yeah. You know, you, if you look at the, you know, the, the, the breadth uh, and, and, and scale of real-time systems like MParticle, you know, and all the massive investments that brands are investing in their Snowflake and BigQuery, uh, you know, there's a massive disconnect between you know, you know, what the potential is, uh, you know, what the actual expectations of the customer are uh, from an end use case perspective, and what the technological capabilities are to actually affect that. You know, so you know, when we sort of look at you know, the end, end pipeline, you know, our focus is on the application side. And, and really what, what we see is the you know, incumbent applications are just insufficient you know, to drive a broad set of use cases required to win in the market. You know, and while you know, with, 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 with endless integration capabilities, you can affect any of these use cases. Yeah, you know, I think one of the, you know, the name of the game from, you know, from our perspective is actually speed of execution. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily that you need to access all your data, you know, but it is necessarily that you need access to all your data so that when new use cases come about, you know, you know next quarter, uh, you, you can execute, you can execute against them, you know, in hours and not weeks, uh, you know, or longer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And, and, and I think maybe this is like one area where our thinking may, may diverge a little bit, which it, but I think it like, it does, I think in either case, like, the access that you want to your data, like you still want to make it, make sure it's like the right data and it's of good quality and you can trust it and all that kind of stuff. Our view historically has been like, there's, there's a lot of advice out there around like, well, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it kind of thing. And, and, and our view has always been like, employ a lean tagging approach, like be, be mindful of, of the data, um, like stop, pause, and like think through the customer life cycle, even the product life cycle, and how are different consumers going to want to consume that data because that serves, like that data design process serves as like a really important forcing function. And whether that ends up in, in a CDP, whether it goes to, to a data warehouse first, I think like the key point is like, you can't skip that step, but what we're seeing, and I think the market reality is like, that requires a level of data maturity. And the truth is a lot of companies do skip that step, maybe because they don't know how, maybe they don't have the, the expertise, maybe they don't have the, the time because they're growing so fast and like there's, there's bigger issues to, to address. Whatever the case may be, I think companies end, end up at some point having to solve for this. And my advice is that earlier you can do it, the better, because it won't go away and it doesn't solve itself on its own. Yeah, no, 100%. And you know, ultimately, a winning playbook starts with having accurate data you know, that you know, actually represents the right aspects of you know, what your customers are doing. Yeah, yeah. 
couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, I think the thing that's that's clear to me and in, in really all of our conversations is like there's a number of areas where I think we have very similar, if not the same view. I think in in areas where maybe our views differ, we're still focused on solving the same problems, but maybe coming at it from slightly different angles, but still get to like the same, the same point ultimately. Yeah. You know, look, and we have, you know, for you know, listeners of the podcast, we also have many, you know, and several shared customers as well, which just sort of speak to the, to how, you know, both the category you know, is evolving uh, and just sort of the difference in our value propositions as, as, as two different providers, you know, in a sense with the same space today. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, yeah. So with that, uh, Michael, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on to today's episode of, of the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. Um, yeah, yeah, really just sort of you know, summarizing, you know, the episode categories move tremendously quickly and it'll be very interesting to come back here. I think I said the same thing six months ago. So the same thing, the same thing uh, today. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be great to come back six months, six months again from now, uh, you know, and discuss how the category is evolving. Yeah, I, I think we will you know, certainly get to a place where you know, you know, folks who are saying something of substance uh, will be heard and received, and mm-hmm. those who will not will be fatigued. Yeah. You know, and I think that we will get to a, a point of, of, of much better clarity than you know than, than we see, see than we see today. I think today we actually have a, better, have a better point of clarity than what we you know we saw six months ago. So excited you know, to continue the conversation uh, and to see where the category progresses. Yeah, same same here. Um, I. I, I, I was laughing before because I'm not sure if or how these companies will fatigue because it seems like people <laughs> will just keep throwing stuff against the wall till you know till, till kingdom come. But yeah, we will we will definitely say it'll okay. just be new stuff that they're throwing against the wall. Well, the companies fatigue when the market fatigues of them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is that is very <laughs> much. Yeah. Amen. Great. Yeah, and Michael, for anyone who wants to um, learn about MParticle, how can they do so? I'm going to send them to your house directly. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, just go to our website, um, www.mparticle.com. Um, check us out on Twitter at MParticle. Um, or yeah, hit, hit me up directly. Great. Uh, and thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata. You've been listening to the Data Unlocked. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.